As a matter of fact, God, God never said that love is something. He says, I am love. Yeah, if you want to be loving, or if you even want love, you got to have God. Bottom line, you can't get around it. Uh, some of you are trying to love, and you ain't doing it without God. And I'm telling you, you're going to fall on your face flat every time when you try to do such a godly thing as love. Folks say they love fried chicken, they love this, they love that, they love, you know, they love hot weather. You know, it's just sort of a weird way of using the word love. Uh, you like that stuff, but love is a totally different idea concept. It's not even a principle. Love is a person. And you can't even do love unless you got him inside of you. By the way, uh, you know, just for all the married folk out there, folk thinking about getting married, first thing I tell folk when they come in for session, are you, are you in love with Jesus? If not, you can't do this. Don't even waste your time. Come on. <laughs> can't do it. All right, Luke 15. Luke 15, 1 and 2. Luke 15, 1 and 2. And I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. And then I want to take a look at the Message Bible. Is that all right, everybody? Uh, if you have it, would you say amen? If you're looking at it on the screen, say, I see it on the screen. And if you can't see it all, somebody shout, Lord, help me. I mean, share with somebody. All right, here it is. Here it is. The Bible says, then all the tax collectors... And the sinners. Who did I say, everybody? The sinners. And I, and I love this here. Drew near to him for to hear him. Verse 2. Now watch this. In most Bibles it says, but. It says, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 3 says, so he spoke this parable to them, saying. Now I want you to go to verse 22. To verse 22. But the father, who everybody? Who everybody? But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Verse 23 and bring the fatted calf. You know, I looked that word fatted up. Basically what this means is this is a, a grain, grass-fed, organic. This is pure beef right here. <laughs> this is the best cut right here. They said, we've been preparing this for a long time for a special occasion. Hey, don't bring out that other stuff. Bring, bring, don't bring no McDonald's or nothing. Bring out the fatted calf. Oh, my brothers and my sisters, the Bible goes on to say in verse 23, bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son, whose son is it, everybody? My son. Now, now watch the language that the Lord uses here. This is why there's a celebration. My son was dead and is alive again. My son was dead. Notice Notice now, before he describes him as being lost and found, he first wants to clarify the extent of his condition. My son was dead. And now he's alive. And then he goes on to further explain what he means. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. They began to celebrate. Verse 25. Now, his older brother, the oldest son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard folks turning up. <laughs> he heard rhythmic music. The drums. <laughs> Literally, this is true. And, Lord, have, God forbid, and dancing. Now, 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 notice what the Bible, the Bible says he didn't see dancing, he heard dancing. Brothers and sisters, they were turning up in there, I'm trying, trying to tell you, all right? Now, 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 what verse am I, what verse am I on? Uh, verse 26, uh, 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 so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Verse 27, and he said to him, now watch it is, your brother has come home. 
and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Verse 28. But God, oh, Lord, help us today. But he was angry. Uh, the title of my message today is, <laughs> Why You Mad? And, he, and, and notice the scripture says, and he would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Uh, verse uh, 29 says, so he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat. Not even the fatted calf, man. You didn't even give me a goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon, now here it is, here it is, saints. Oh, I can't wait to preach this day today. But as soon as his, as this son of yours, y'all didn't catch that. He, my brother, this is your son, huh? Uh, who has, now watch what he says, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. How does he know that? No, sir, has anybody ever wanted to know, how does he know that his brother has been out there with harlots? There has been nothing in the conversation. Ain't been nothing. The father has not said nothing about harlots. Nobody has said it. Some version says he's been out there with prostitutes. Some versions say he was out there playing the whore. I'm just saying, why, why is he so mad that he's out there with harlots? Maybe because he wanted to be out there with harlots. Huh? How does he know this? Maybe he actually knew where his brother was and what his brother was into. But at this point, he ain't his brother no more. That's your son. The Bible goes on to say, this is a disturbing text, saints of God. He says, but as soon as this son of yours who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. Verse 32, it was, it was right. Somebody say it was right. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. May the word of God be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. I want to begin today by saying something from my heart to this congregation very specifically and very intentionally. One of the, one of the dynamics of preaching is that you hopefully will have a prepared preacher. Come on, say amen. amen. Who has studied. He has prayed. Amen. He has been directed by God to say something. And hopefully your assumption is, is that whenever, whoever stands up here to say something with a Bible open, your assumption should be that God is leading him to say what he's saying. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, boy, it's getting quiet in here right now. I mean, your prayer should be that, that, that at, at such time that someone stands here. And remember now, the Bible says it is by the foolishness of preaching. See, I don't take this thing lightly. It is, the Bible says by the foolishness of preaching that men are saying. Do you know why it's foolish? Because you got one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. In other words, don't ever get assumed for a minute that when somebody stands here and preaches that, that they are somehow in an elevated position and that they have everything that they're saying together. No, I want, if there's anybody that's going to get this, I want my church to understand this. When you stand here, nothing special happens to you except the Holy Spirit can't find nobody else to use on that day. So I just happen to be the mouthpiece he wants to use. That's a dynamic. Now, the crucial part with the dynamic of preaching that I'm learning about, especially in a pastoral context, I travel all around. And when I go to preach places, I don't have to necessarily deal with this dynamic because I'm a guest. They don't know me that well. They're assuming that this is a good guy and that whatever he's saying, if they invited him here, it has some relevance, some importance of what we're doing. 
But in a local church setting, in, 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 in your church, it's a little difficult. It's tough to talk to people you know. And let me tell you the number one reason why. Trust. I'm telling you, the most important factor in receiving the word of God when it's preached is, is the person that's standing there, do I trust what he's saying? Oh, where is he coming from? What are his motives? What does he mean when he says this? And I, I, I've come to, to believe that I think we got a trust issue here at Glenville. I understand, and I want to tell you, I have an agenda. So let's just get it on the table. I got an agenda. I do. You know how some folks say, oh, they got an agenda. Yes, I have an agenda. I have an agenda. It's not secret either. I have an agenda. And what I would like to do today is, in a very real way, I want to show you there is no other passage of Scripture in the Bible that will clarify for this congregation where your pastor's head is, where my heart is, what my ulterior motives are than this passage of Scripture right here. This is, seriously, if anybody that knows me really knows me, this is what makes me, this is what drives me. This is what motivates me. This is why I'm here. This is why I say the things that I say. It's because of this passage of Scripture. All right, are y'all ready now? Now that I got that off my chest. The prodigal son is a, such a familiar story that when you even talk about it, you deal with this element. I heard it before. So I need to hear something I never heard before if you're even going to make me interested. And so last week I told you very succinctly and clearly that the issue with the prodigal son that we must discern is a passage found in Romans 2 and verse 4. And I want to quote it for you. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, it is the kindness of God. This is my platform if I'm Obama. This is my platform. This is what I'm running on if I'm to be elected for anything. I'm going to ride and die on this. The Bible says, it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. That thought, that scripture, Wilborn Rudd, has revolutionized your pastor's ministry in the past five years. The preacher you got ain't the preacher that my former church had five years ago. That scripture, the kindness of God, leads to life change. For the most part, most of my life, I was under the impression that in order to bring about change in people's lives, in order to see people's behavior change, you need to tell them where they're wrong and show them that they need to change. And if you just shake them hard enough and tell them straight enough that you're wrong and you need to do right, then they'll do it. Then I had kids. Now, God is not just concerned with us being obedient. God is concerned with a kind of obedience. For example, uh, my kids sometimes will, will fight amongst each other. And, and, and because I'm so concerned about them behaving right and them doing the right thing, I'll walk into the room and I'll say, what's going on in here? And then they'll try to explain. I'll say, all right, everybody shut up. Everybody ever do that? I don't even want to hear the explanation. I don't want to hear. All right, both of y'all apologize to each other. Did you catch what just happened there? They turn it up. They clowning. I walk in the room. What's going on? They try to explain. Shut up! Just apologize. And then they'll do one of these numbers. My son Camden or Taylor will say, sorry. Now, when my son or daughter says sorry in that way, should I rejoice? Should I say, praise God, my children are getting it. They're obeying. No, because that's not even obedience. That's me telling them what to do. That's called compliance. And what I'm afraid of, and here, my agenda's going to come out, is that for the most part, 
in the Seventh-day Adventist church, as well as other churches, we teach compliance over conversion. We are anxious for people, I know what I'm talking about, to look the part, act the part, represent the part. Why? Because we're a peculiar people. We've got to represent the world. But, but, but can I help you out now? Now juxtapose that compliant kind of religion with the world that we're living in. We're living in a world that is becoming less in love with God. No, please understand this. I think this is one of the reasons why sometimes when we're speaking and we're having the conversation, I'm talking about pastor and church, why sometimes there may be a disconnect. Uh, listen, I'm not saying that what we used to do was not a good strategy for the time that we're in. What I am telling you now is, is we're not dealing with the same kind of mindset. We are dealing with a mindset of people who do not believe in God, who despise God. The fastest growing religion in the world, especially in North America, is agnosticism and atheism. What is that saying? People are not just rejecting church. They are rejecting God. Now, all of this is directly connected. I'm trying not to get excited too soon with the great controversy. This story, the God is love story, here's the, here's the meat of the issue. When we sinned, when we did what, everybody? Sin. We naturally, our default setting is two things. Are you ready? Here are the two things. This is, I mean, you naturally do not trust God. Nobody. You naturally do not see him as a God of love. The only way you can see God correctly is if God helps you to see him correctly. All right, so watch this. There are two options you have. There are two options that come out of you. Number one, you try to be good so that God will love you. Please listen to me today. Because you don't trust that God loves you unconditionally, you feel... If I'm a good boy, then God will love me. Am I, am I on the right track right now? I'm just, I'm, 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 am I on the right track? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Has anybody ever felt like when you've done something wrong and you had to come to God? Now, I'm not talking about when you made one. I'm talking about anybody in here like the pastor have to come to God over and over and over and over and over and over. And listen, and by the, by the time you come to God, the 1500th time. In your mind, I don't care what you say, in your mind, you are saying God is tired. So the second option is, is you do good so that God can love you. The second option is, is you don't do good at all. Because you don't feel like no matter what you do, God won't love you. That's the church we got right now. There's two mindsets in here people who are trying to do good so God can love them. And the other mindset is, is they done given up. They're going to do whatever they want because no matter what they do, they don't think God will love them. You know what you call them? Legalists and liberals. Legalists say, if I'm good, God will be good to me. Liberals say, I'm just going to do me because he ain't going to love me no way. Are we here? Do I have a church this morning? Can I, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I keep stepping right now? So, 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 so watch what happens here. The Bible says that the only way that somebody can come to any of these conclusions is if they see God in a light that does not exist. Here's the issue. The only way you can come to any one of those conclusions, I got to be good for God to be uh, good to me, or no matter what I do, God's not going to love me. You have to see God less than a God of, here's the key word, unconditional love. This is the idea that I think has wrecked the church. The idea that no matter what I do, no, 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 hear me now. No matter what I do, God's love never changes towards me. 
Most of us shake our head to it. We know that intellectually, but from an experiential standpoint, we have not come to grips with the fact that I don't have to do anything to get God's love. His love is so amazing <laughs> that whether I'm right or wrong, and let me, let me help you understand, you're never right. See, the issue is, is you got two kinds of people. You have one person who's doing what they do in order to earn God's favor, but they don't realize that they are deceived and they're not good. The Bible says this. Uh, the Bible says that I have come uh, not that the, uh, uh, for, for, for the righteous, but, 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 but for sinners. I, I've come not for the healthy, but I've come for the sick. You've heard that before, right? right. Now, what God is not saying is that there are people that are righteous, and so I'm going for those who are unrighteous. What he's trying to imply to us is, is that there are really people who think they're righteous. The, The Bible says there is nobody that is righteous. No, 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 no. You don't believe that. No, 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 no. The Bible says that in this church right now, there is not one breathing human being from the youngest to the oldest who has any good virtue in them at all. There are no good guys. There are no good girls. There there is nothing inherently good about anybody. No, I'm coming. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to realize this. You know, you know why I'm realizing this? Because as I'm getting closer to Jesus, all this time, I'm assuming that as I get closer to him, I'm going to start seeing the fat being shed. Anybody ever under the impression that those that are close to Jesus are the folks who have the least amount of problems? What I'm realizing now, though, and it's kind of scary, that the closer I'm getting to Jesus, the more... Oh, let me help somebody here today. Are, are you aware... Of your condition? Are you aware of your, of your plight? Are you aware of how destitute and bankrupt and lost you really are? God says, those are the people that I favor. Now, let's, let's, let's give me, let's, let's, let, let, me, let, me, let me wrap this thing down. In Luke 15, the context is simply this. Jesus is at Levi Matthew's house, who is a tax collector. Now, you know, we've heard this stuff preached so much that we kind of sympathize with tax collectors and we see Pharisees as bad guys. How many, how many see Pharisees as bad guys? Be honest. Just in your mind. You kind of, these are the bad guys. You know, especially when the stories of Jesus. Anytime the Pharisees come up, they're like the antagonists. They're the bad guys, right? Nobody in here wants to be. How many of you are Pharisees? Raise your hand. Who knows you're a Pharisee in here? Yeah, listen, come on, say. No, listen, that's, that's, you made my point. Nobody wants to be a Pharisee. They don't, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Look, <laughs> I just, y'all just proved my point. Look, I asked you what a good guy, nobody raised their hand. Then I just asked you, all the Pharisees raise your hands. Ah, oh, see, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. See, nobody wants to be a Pharisee. But let me help you out here. Pharisees were actually good people. These were good people. These were folk who were simply trying to do what God said. Did they take it too far? Yes. But they had good intentions that they wanted to do the right thing. Then you have tax collectors. These are folks who are in the total opposite direction. They don't want to do the right thing. They don't care about the right thing. Matter of fact, they are traitors. They are the scum of the earth. They are the most wicked human beings that any of us can imagine. And so Jesus, this, you have to understand why the Pharisees hated Jesus so much. Jesus shows up. Now, this disturbs me. You got some good brothers. Come on. These are good guys. They're simply just trying to do the right thing, Lord. Amen. And when you come here, you don't kowtow. You don't pander to them. You don't acknowledge them. You don't support them. Matter of fact, you come attacking them. And in comparison to them, instead of hanging with them, you decide that you're going to come build your team with the worst people. That's the Bible. So in Luke, Luke, Luke 15 and verse 1, the Bible says that the tax collectors and sinners, you know the word sinners means? It's basically referring to prostitutes and folks with sexual problems. Understand this. Jesus shows up. He looks at the religious good people. Mm-mm. Not dealing with them. I'm going to spend time 
with the worst folks on the planet. The Pharisees then said this. He eats and drinks with sinners. The accusation that prompted the parable of the prodigal son is that Jesus is too doggone liberal. He chooses them over us. I need y'all to hear me. I need you to hear me. I need you to hear me today. I'm trying to lay out. Please, I don't want there to be any confusion. Jesus comes. He sees good people and says, you're my enemies. He goes to the worst people and says, you're my friends. So then they're like, I'm confused. I don't get this. And this is why many of us are confused right now, and I want to make this very plain today. Then he tells three stories, which really makes one parable. Parable of the lost sheep. Parable of the lost coin. Parable of the lost son. Right? Now, the first two parables, lost sheep and lost coin, basically show the Pharisees what they should be doing. What happens in each one of those parables? You have something that gets lost, and people start tearing up stuff to find it. Matter of fact, they leave 90 and 9. They leave 9 coins. They leave. The implication Jesus is saying is they, they leave the good people and they, go in, and they go in pursuit of the bad people. Now, here, here's the common, commonality in each one of those two parables. At the end of each one of those parables, there is a turn up. Each one. So there's a lost sheep. And as soon as he finds it, the Bible says, look, y'all, come together. We got to celebrate. And then he says this, all of heaven rejoices, watch this now, over one sinner that repents. Then he finds a lost coin and says the same thing. Look, he's trying to make it very clear to them. Look, guys, that what, I, what heaven values is not what you guys have been valuing. Heaven values the muck. Heaven values the mire. Heaven values the demon-possessed. Heaven values the drug addicts. Heaven values those that worship Satan blatantly. Heaven values pedophiles. Heaven values homosexuals. Heaven values uh, lesbians. Heaven values murderers. Heaven values liars. Heaven values those that's taken, that's taken up your money, your tax money on welfare and they kids is run up and down the streets and they're stealing and they're killing. Heaven values them more than heaven values the saved. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Why would you, heaven, why, why would Jesus waste time and energy to go and chase one lost sheep and leave 99 folk open to get lost themselves? Why would a woman tear up her house and look for one coin and she has nine left? I'll tell you why. I just got this uh, new device. I don't think I brought it in here, but the pastor, as you know, has a tendency to lose stuff. I lose my keys every Sabbath. I'm serious. It's, it's true. <laughs> so, man, I, I, I remember it was, it was like two weeks ago. And uh, two weeks ago, <laughs> two weeks ago, uh, Kevin Cameron, uh, Principal Raymond said, listen, man, we're going to play some basketball on Sunday. And look, I love to play ball. I ain't played ball in so long, so I was geeked to play ball. As soon as I get ready to leave, I can't find my keys. I, I can't play ball. I can't. I got to find my keys. And I couldn't find my wallet. <laughs> now, mind you, I just lost my wallet. No, my wallet got stolen like a month before. So this is, a, this is a chronic problem for the pastor. If you want me to hold something for you, if you want me to remember something, I can't. I'm, I'm very absent-minded. I lose stuff. Of, hey, some of y'all y'all judging me right now. But is there anybody in here that loses stuff? Come on. I just need to feel. Come on. Help me. Hold my brother out. Anybody? Come on now. Yo, but let me tell you something. Something as so insignificant as a wallet, 
I mean, it's easier now than it used to be back in the day. Uh, you lose a wallet, uh, uh, it takes you months before you get your driver's license back or your credit cards back. It's such a hassle. It costs money. But now, I mean, it happens a little quicker. So, so, uh, so I'm, I'm like, it's only been a few hours and I can't find my wallet. And so the next day, I called and canceled everything, went and paid for a new wallet, paid for new cards, new everything. When I got home, like two days later, I'm looking through my messy floor where I had laid my clothes that my wife tells me, don't throw your clothes on the floor and I look through and I find my wallet. But let me tell you why I want to tell you this. Because I wouldn't even go play back. I'm telling you, when I lose stuff like this, keys, or, or, or I never lose my cell phone because I always have it on me. But I, just, I, mean, I mean, when I lose stuff like this, I'm telling you, I go crazy. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is there anything you ever lose and you can't focus? You can't go to work today? You're about to call off? I got I to gotta find my wallet. Man, I didn't even go play ball. Kev was like, yo, people are here waiting on us. I was like, man, I can't find my wallet. It's almost like, dude, you need to understand what I'm saying here. I can't find my wallet. Why do you keep asking me to come play ball? And I just told you I can't find my wallet. Do you know how important it is when you lose your wallet? You can't think, you can't sleep, you can't breathe, you can't eat. I need to find my wallet. Ask my wife and kids. When I lose stuff, I get an attitude. When I lose stuff, they ask me, hey, do, uh, well, and then they'll ask, you know, and I'm sorry, I'm not saying these are dumb questions, but it stuff kind of drives me crazy. You lose something, they say, well, where's the last place you had it? Don't you think I've already thought about the last place that I had it? Well, have, 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 and, you know, and then they'll say, they'll tell you to look in the most obvious places. Did you look? where you put your wallet most of the time on your dress? Of course I did! <laughs> what I need you to do is stop asking questions and start tearing up this house with me! It's my wallet! So, man, they got a new technology now, which I would like to suggest for all of you who lose stuff. It's called the tile. And I paid $120 for it immediately. You put, you put it on your key, you put it in your wallet, and if any one of y'all try to take my stuff again, all I got to do is go on my phone, and it's going to send a real loud signal. And if it's in your pocket, I know you got it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'll never lose them again. Millions of dollars are being made on absent-minded people just like me. So get what I'm saying here. In heaven's Listen, please don't, I want, don't, be, don't be offended by this, but in heaven's economy, in heaven's mindset, something that's lost is more important than something that's found. Oh, y'all not hearing me. Not hearing me. What, okay, what I'm trying to tell you is, is why does your pastor do the stuff he does? Why do I say the things I say? Because lost, in heaven's mind, is more important than found. Now, does God love everybody? Yeah, but here's the problem. People that think they're found are more of a danger to the things of God because they are assuming that they are better off than they are, and God is not in a position to help anybody who does not see themselves as the worst human being ever born on the planet. Oh, you're not hearing me. You must. And see, thank God for the process. And I'm not telling everybody to get this overnight because it has taken me years to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm still learning to understand it. I'm still embracing what God has done. You see, people hate rules because rules tells them what to do. But people really hate grace because grace tells you you can't do anything. See, the grace of God has come to us because there is nothing inside of us that is able to do anything that's right. 
to all my folk out there who feel like you've messed up too many times, you've screwed up one too many times, that God is getting tired of you. I don't know what to say to convince you otherwise, but hear what I'm saying today. It's a lie from the pits of hell to assume that if you've done something wrong over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, the Bible says that we crucify the Son of God afresh, and every time we crucify him, he comes back, he, he forgets, The word of God says, he, as far as the east is from the west, so has he separated our sins from us. The Bible says that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. And this text is not just for those who've made that mistake one time. It's for folk who've made that mistake one, two, three, four, five, seven hundred times. Hear me now. Every time, look at you, Jesus, every time you mess up, every time you sin, every time you fail, I don't care if it's 25 times, in a minute, the Father, the Father has his arms out. And the Father doesn't change. The Father doesn't say, oh man, here they come again. Here they come again with that same stuff. I'm so tired of them. I have actually preached that foolishness. And God forgive me of my sins for ever giving anybody the impression that you have messed up too many times in order for God to love you. God's love is unconditional. There are nothing... There is nothing you can add to it. There's nothing you can take away from it. There is no sin that is so bad that God does not get over it. And so here comes the elder brother. Now the whole, what I didn't realize, is the whole parable of the prodigal son has really nothing to do with the boy who went out there and got wild. Remember, who is his audience? It's the Pharisees. What is their accusation? That you fellowship with sinners. What is his response? When somebody's lost, you go find them. And when you find them, you celebrate. So then the boy comes. He wishes his dad dead. He takes off and squanders. What a fool. Being independent from God to chase something is the dumbest thing in the world. Yeah. Dumb. Dumb. He lost. Lost. Oh, how many times have we heard preachers talk about how lost he is? I remember, you know, my, my dad, you know, he, he used to try to urbanize it. Talking about how he as, soon as he, as soon as he got all of his father's stuff, he went out and bought a Bentley and, and put 25s on there. Is this such thing as 25s? I don't know. Put 25-inch rims on there, and he's driving around to the nightclubs, and he, he's, turn, he, 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 he's making it rain in the club, and, and he, you know what I'm saying? We painted all these I don't Listen, I don't know what he did. The issue of the text is, is that whatever he did, he did it so fast that he ran out. Now watch this. This is how good God is. This is how good God is. When he runs out of everything, then God sends a famine. I said God sends the famine. Y'all not hearing me now. Listen, no, no, no. Uh, we serve a God, remember now, that looks, he seeks and saves the lost. He will arrange circumstances in your life. Oh, some, come on, talk to me in here. Anybody ever got arrested before? And now you can look back on it. You don't got to talk back to me, but I know you're in here. Has anybody ever got arrested or gotten in some trouble or found yourself between a rock and a hard place? Or, or have you ever found yourself sick on your bed of affliction? Or did you find yourself broke and you had no one to turn to? And it was in that moment that God was trying to show you that this is my way of bringing grace to your life so that you stop trusting yourself and you come to learn to trust in God. I thank him for the trials. I thank him for the tribulations. I thank him for knocking me down. I thank him for letting me lose my mind. I thank him for letting me fall. I thank him for letting me get myself in a mess that I can't get myself out of. I thank God that he pushed me over the edge. I thank God that he knocked me down to the ground because it's in those moments that we finally realize I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now. Now, of course, y'all know the story. I told you last week, he got knocked down, and he wasn't even repentant. His whole story was, man, the pigs is eating better than your boy is. He got so hungry, he was like, man, I'm going to rise and go to my father. Came up with a nice elaborate speech. 
when he gets to his father, he's shocked by what the father does. Father takes a robe and puts it on his nasty behind. Doesn't tell nobody to give him a bath. Doesn't tell nobody to give him a shower. Doesn't tell nobody what he should have done is to say, one of the servants, you deal with him because I'm so mad at the disrespect that I've experienced that I ain't saying nothing to his behind until his behind comes correct. But instead, the father takes off running. The Bible says why he was a great way off. Oh, come on in here. Has anybody ever been a great way off before? Oh, no, come on now. I'm, talk- I'm appealing to your heart. No, you say, hey, God says, I- I- I'll go to hell to find you. He said, now David said, if I make my bed, he said, if I send to the heavens, thou art there. If I make, ah, thank you, Jesus. If I make my bed in hell, the Bible says God don't come. God ain't scared to go nowhere. He gets up. He says, I'm going to go home. I got the speech. Father robes him. Oh, we love that. That's the story, right, Pastor? Isn't that the prodigal son? That people can be lost and found? Not really. That's not the story. That's not the story. Remember, he's talking to a bunch of people who think they're good. The real star of this story comes with his older brother. Now, this is amazing to me. The boy gets saved immediately. This, to me, this is a little, this is kind of excessive. Nah, he's come back, but his repentance wasn't really real. Man, let's not, let's not encourage this behavior. This is what folks would say to me when I would be like, let's have a baby shower for the girl who gets pregnant out of wedlock. If we do that in the church, we might be encouraging other little girls to do what? To know that if they make a mistake, that there will be grace. But see, here's the problem. We feel as a church that you can give to, that grace can be something that you're excessive with, that you have to balance grace. Understand, brother, that is a lie from hell. Jesus never balanced grace. If, listen, if, if grace was fair, remember, if there was an ounce of fairness in grace, stay with me right now, if there was an ounce of fairness in grace, there would be dead bodies everywhere. Do you realize that the intrinsic value of grace itself is that it ain't fair? But we've got a twisted view in our minds, like this elder brother, that somehow or another, the good that we have done, God owes us. Watch this. And this, I'm telling you, listen, even as somebody who's beginning to understand grace, this is radical. So they, so the father's like, immediately, throw a party. Immediately. Like, hold on, investigate first. Find out if he's sincere first. Find out if he's really sorry first. Find out if he, is, if he has gone through all the lessons first so that he can know what he believes first so he won't leave. Father says, no, right now, throw a party. Right now, the Bible says, they start throwing a party. It says it's so loud. It's so loud. The party is so loud. The turn up is so extreme. The kickback is on such a whole nother level. Matter of fact, the Greek word there for dancing gives the picture. Some of you have seen Jews when they, when, they, when they do these line dances in circles and there's someone on the drums and they are just skipping their feet and they are hollering and they are screaming and they are rejoicing. Why? Because someone was dead and they're alive. Understand now, when you are lost, you are dead. You're not just, you're not just out there. You're dead. He's saying we got to celebrate because we got a new creature here. Turn up! Turn up the music. Get the food ready. Bring out the wine. Bring it all out. We got to celebrate. My son is back. Let me end it here. The son who was the good boy. The scripture says he's out there working. Oh, y'all not hearing. You're not hearing me. You're not hearing. This is going over your head. He's working. He's doing all the good things. He's working. He's in the church. He's committed. He's at Sabbath school. Oh, y'all, come on now. He's been through Revelation Seminar. He's paid tithe. Ten plus ten. He's given to building a place for grace. He helps people. 
he comes and he says, now my, my, impression, my impression is that initially he said, oh man, well, man I, guess, I guess the dad has finally realized what the old boy has been doing all this time. <laughs> hey man, come here. Oh, well, what's going on in there? What's going on in there? Hey man, you ain't heard? No, I haven't heard. But go ahead, I'll tell, I'm ready, I'm ready for it. Go ahead, tell me, tell me what's going on. Been waiting for this. It's about time he noticed me. Look, man, your brother. Your brother. Your brother, man. Man, he's back. Man, and your dad, man, has thrown a party for him. Man, come on in. Man, let's celebrate now. According to the custom, anytime there was a party, the older brother is supposed to be the chief maitre d' and servant of the party. He's supposed to be the one cooking. He's, see, see, in those days, they took hospitality to another level. So if a guest came into the house, you didn't just simply send the servants out there to take care of them, but those who were in charge of the house specifically would be the ones responsible for the celebration. But the father was caught up in such a moment of joy and thanksgiving that his son had come home. He said he didn't have time to go get his son. He just said, man, my boy is back. I've been looking for him. I've been praying for him. I, no matter what he did to me, I'm just glad to know that he's home. The son says, excuse me? What's going on? I'll let your dad tell you. The Bible says that the son stands out there. He does not even go in. He is P.O.'d. Now, what should have happened was another servant should have come out and said, bring your, your father has called a party. Bring your behind in here. But the father leaves the party, comes out, and he says, your brother, your brother, your, God help me to hear, your brother, these people out here, first of all, let's stop calling them these people. You walk down 105 in St. Clair. You, the, the mean Jews in my neighborhood. Those are my brothers. The racist white boss of yours is your brother. The masculine looking woman who has no affinity for men and loves the sexual pleasure of women, my sister. <sighs> What's that big thing on Quincy, 93rd? What is that, Not, where is that? Uh-huh, yeah. All them kids in there, my kids. You, you, let me tell you the problem here. And let me, let me sit down here, because I think I'm clear. The problem is this. The older brother was upset because he felt like the father should have been celebrating him. Can I tell you why? No, I want you to get this. When the celebration is going on, the son says, okay, I hear you. I know he was lost. I know he was almost dead. But I, I've been here all this time. I've sang in every choir. I gave up my job on Saturday. I have been faithful in this church. And all y'all talk about is reaching lost people. Uh, uh, pastor, you done forgot about all the members here. What about all these folks that's paying your salary? 
What about all these folks that's showing up every week to listen to your long sermons? I mean, hold on, hold on now. Don't, pat, listen, this is what the elder brother is saying. Please don't miss this. He's saying, do you realize what you are doing when you give all the celebration and the praise and the adulation for this nasty, whore-loving boy of yours? Bible says he mad. How could you waste resources and time and my money on this whore loving, nasty, sexually addicted, alcohol addicted, drug addicted fool? How dare you? I've been home all this time and you ain't done nothing for me. Folks say stuff like, I see we're doing all this stuff for new members. What about the rest of us here? That's the elder brother mindset. See, the only way you can embrace that mindset is if you think you're saved. If you think you've been good. The only way you can be mad when souls get saved. Let me tell you, I have, I have, I have heard folks say stuff like this. Like, yeah, I know that there's been a little change in the church, and I know things are not the way they used to be. But, man, do you see the people getting baptized? Do you see the, and then this is the response from the elder brother. But they ain't staying. I see y'all baptizing all these people and they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. Well, let me ask you a question. Why are they gone? Why are they gone? Does the preacher baptize them and keep them and study with them and visit them and love them and befriend them? Y'all not hearing with me right now. I mean, no, really, seriously, why are they leaving? They ain't paying. I, listen, I had one person tell me, I see all these kids getting baptized, but they ain't bringing no money in the church. I return 10 plus 10. And I'm supporting that old building, that piece of junk project over there on the corner of Euclid and 260th. And these new folk. You chasing after these whores and prostitutes and lesbians? And folk coming up in here all kind of way, dressed all kind of way. And you know what? Uh, a friend of mine the other day, uh, he was telling me a story. Uh, he said he was out with some of his friends, you know, who were really in the health. And they went to, uh, they, were, they were by Burger King because they had to change their clothes. Of course, they would never eat there. And, and of course, you know, at Burger King, listen, you know, at Burger King, there's like the, there's like the smell, you know, flame broiled, right? And, and it's like the smell. And so he did this. He said, just to get on their nerves, he said, oh, the smell of the sanctuary. Y'all know the sanctuary had a big grill <laughs> called the, the altar of incense. Right. And, and let, me take, let me take a deep breath right now. I don't smell enough smoke. I don't smell enough weed. I don't smell enough sex in here. I don't smell enough alcohol. I don't smell enough stank bodies. I don't smell. I want to smell it. All up in this. I want crazy folk. Come on in here. I want folk that I want all of them up in here. Why? Because guess what? Ain't no difference between me and them except that I have realized, I have realized from whence I've come, I'm no better. I'm no better. I'm no better. It's only the grace of God in my life that allow me to stand here and preach. Listen, listen, man, I hope there's so many gays in this church that folks will begin to question what kind of ministry we got. 
Because when you put lost people first, it causes all of heaven to rejoice because heaven is more concerned about those that know they're lost. See, the father had two lost boys. Father had two lost boys. I didn't realize that. McCracken, he had two lost boys. One was lost, but knew he was lost. One was, the other was lost. Uh, sweetheart, put this last statement on the screen before I close. That last comment that I wanted you to put up there. Thank you. That's my second preacher. She helps me to preach. Uh, who is it, by the way? Michaela? Yeah, Michaela. Raise it up. Watch this. This is from Christ's Object Lessons. This is a comment on the story. Self-righteousness not only leads men to misrepresent God, watch this, but makes them cold-hearted and critical toward their brethren. Father stands there. Come here, brother. The father stands there and he says, Please hear me. Don't please don't miss this. I mean, as I'm reading the text, I'm feeling the pulse of the heartbeat of God for my lost soul. The father says to the son, he says, Please come in. Please. It's your brother. And then, the, and then the son says back, no, it's your son. He says, no, it's my brother. No, it's your son. He says, no, you both are my sons and you're both lost. Please come in. Sit down. Listen, the way that you know that you are lost, God help me. God help me. I, I listen, this is, not, this is not to condemn, but I just believe by the grace of God, when we come to acknowledge, when we come to admit our wretchedness, when we come to acknowledge our brokenness, when we come to realize that if it had not been for the grace of God for us, there would we be. We have got to come. We have got to acknowledge and admit that we need a Savior too. I think we think that since we've joined the church, we don't need grace as much as we did when we first joined. What I'm discovering with my crazy behind self is that I need grace more now. Woo! Woo! Oh, and listen, and I need grace for new reasons now. I used to need grace to stop looking at porn, but now I need grace to keep my mouth shut. Hey! I used, I used to need grace to not turn my head and look when the sister walks by. But now I need grace to learn how to forgive folk when they step on me, when they talk about me, when they lie on me. I need grace more now than I needed before. You never outgrow grace. You never outgrow mercy. You never outgrow God's kindness. It is the kindness of God. Thank you, God. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. So Jesus is making it very clear. Lost people. Hear me, hear me. Lost people. That's what I want you to celebrate. That's what I want you to invest in. That's what I want you to be concerned about. He says, put yourself aside. Who cares what you're getting and not getting? See, when you, when you get saved and you know where you got saved from. See, see many of us, Many of us, many of us got information, but we never got transformation. And we, have, and we have been rejoicing in what we know, but we don't know how to rejoice in who we know. And I'm telling you right now, I'm 38 years old. I'm a son of a pastor, and I'm just getting to a place where I can say I'm saved. Where I can say I know that I'm covered because I know now that my righteousness has nothing to do with what I bring to the table. But my righteousness has everything to do with what God declares on my life. 
See, righteousness is a declaration. Righteousness is not a manifestation. In other words, God calls me righteous before I look righteous. And when he calls me that, it feels good to me. I, I, can't, I can't hold my peace. And, and I start realizing from whence I've come. And, and I feel the love of God oozing all over my life. And, and all I want to do is talk about him. And all I want to do is praise him. And all I want to do is reach more lost people. Because I know what the Lord has done in my life. And, and I just can't help but praise and, and worship and, and serve and, and reach and, and love. Because I know... Go ahead, bro. There's an elder brother mentality in this church. From the pastor to the pew, there's a spirit of entitlement in those who think that they deserve some kind of celebration. But remember what the father said to the son. He said, why should I throw a party for you? That's only one day. He said, you've been enjoying a party every day. But here's the problem. He was doing everything he was doing because he was trying to get the applause. He wanted the recognition. It's hard. Um, can, I tell, can I tell you? It's hard to serve God the right way. I'm talking about with the right motives. Story was told of this uh, pastor. His name is his name is Tillian Chichiban. I'm not going to ask you to repeat that, but just so you know who he is, he is the grandson of Billy Graham. Well, years ago, he's now the current pastor of the Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church down in Florida. You used to watch their television programs years ago when Dr. Kennedy was the pastor. Anyway, he has an amazing story. He was a prodigal son. Went out there, wild, lost his mind. Got addicted to everything you can imagine. He said when he was out there, he said two people came to him that made a profound difference in his conversion. He said one of his father's friends came to him and said, you disappoint me. Look at yourself. You know how ungrateful of a little brat you are? After all, your grandparents, do you know who your grandfather is? Look at what your parents have done for you. All I got to say to you is, is if you don't pull it together, I'm going to deal with you. He said after that conversation, he said he saw no hope and had no desire to live right. He says, then another guy came to him, and this was the conversation. He said, Tillian, I love your parents. He said, but I really love you. Watch, hold, hold on, watch this now. He says, I want you to know that I don't judge you, but I'm going to commit myself to pray for you every day. And, and here, here, I love this part. And he says, listen. No matter what kind of trouble you find yourself in, if you need somebody to get you out, call me. Which speech do you think motivated him to change his life? Here's a funny one. Just like I just want y'all to know I love y'all. I'm just compelled to tell the truth. And, and I have been shown from God's word that until the church starts getting more consumed about lost people than they are about themselves, whole churches are going to hell. Whole churches. Whole. It's what motivates you. When my kids were little and they were just learning to walk, we had a two-story house. And I remember we had 22 steps from the top to the bottom. And man, these, <clears throat> these little rascals, sometimes they would figure out how to remove the safety gate. And the worst sound that I've ever heard in my life 
is boom, 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 boom. I mean, I'm talking about two and three years old. Boom, 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 boom. And then you know the next response is. So we would, my wife and I would run downstairs in panic and, and say, oh, oh, come here, come here, baby. Are you okay? And when we would do that, they would just start hollering even more. Ah, 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 ah. All right, saints of God, it's too, it's, uh, stat, um, what's, what is it called? Statue of limitations. Like, it's over. But I'm telling you, I, can, I can't count how many times that happened. And our response every time was to go rescue and say, am I, and I, what is wrong with, I don't know what's And the first thing I would say to him is, what were you doing? My wife will tell you, I panic so hard when my kids do dumb stuff. And instead of like responding at the moment, man, I go into disciplinarian. Like when my kids try to climb out the window and my son was hanging out, the first thing I wanted to do was spank them. Y'all, y'all know y'all do that. I was like, y'all almost died. I should kill you. <laughs> Yo, so check this out. Me and my wife, we, got, we, got, we said we're going to apply a new strategy. Now, I hope this works. I hope this works. We're going to apply a new strategy. So, I mean, inevitably... Boom, 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 boom. I'm telling you, it is the worst sound in the world. You are waiting for death. But I'm telling you, them little, them little, them little boogers are so flexible, man. And I start realizing that even though they fall down the steps, they ain't going to die. No, I'm, ser- I'm serious. I can't explain to you why. Some, somebody who's in pediatrics, or so, please explain it to me. But man, these kids, man, they just have a way of taking a licking and keep on ticking, man. I'm telling you. Boom, 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 And this time, I was like, oh, I got a new one. My wife at work. I come down, and I said, good job. Good. Don't you cry. Yeah. Do, do, don't you? Did you see what you just did? Did you see how you just fell down all them steps? Come over here, boy. Come, and y'all listen. And so my son Camden has this look on his face like, <laughs> He's like so confused. Like, should I be crying right now because my dad is crazy? Or I don't, and, and so, and so and, I mean, for the first time, it confused him. It happened again. Boom, 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 boom. And that pause, you know, that pregnant pause before they're really about to let a loud one out. And I came in there and I said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at that boy, he's a beast. I, did you see what you just did? Don't, don't, don't cry. Boy, you fell down all them steps. You had no business going there, but you fell, and you fell, and you fell all the way to the bottom, and look at your boy now. Your boy made it. I got a little evil Knievel here. You're going to do great thing. Yeah, boy. Yeah, come on, give, give daddy five. Mwah. Oh, good boy. My boy knows how to fall. You survived that fall, boy. Don't everybody know how to fall like that? You fall better than your daddy does. Way to fall. <laughs> Yo, I cannot explain to you why. I don't even know it's going to make sense to you. They ain't, they ain't going down them steps again. You know what I think it was? I think it was the, my daddy, even at three years old, is crazy. But he loves me. And even though 